7. I am preferred. In case you're joining us, two characters in the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, the greatest song of all. And I think we're starting to understand why it is the greatest song and why it's time for us to sing a new one. That it is an understanding of how much God loves us. We see two characters, the Shulamite woman and her beloved. We see that this woman was pursuing her beloved, the king, her groom, if you will. And we see her beloved's response that, hey, I know you love me, and I already love you. It's a picture of the bride and the bridegroom, the Shulamite woman representing the church and the beloved representing God. We are the beloved's precious bride, and he is our beloved. Some of you have heard that by, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He wants us to walk in an intimate relationship with him, some, a close, familiar place walking with God. We ended last week discussing chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and as I was reading it more and more, there was something that stood out that I felt like we needed to get as his people, as his bride. How many of you know that we are his, and he is ours? It's not that one day we get to walk with him. It's we are walking with him now. In Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I am truly his rose, the very theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love like a lily growing in the valley. The more time this Shulamite woman spent in the presence of her beloved, her view of herself changed. If you remember in chapter 1, she kept talking about I am dark as the tents of Kedar. I, I, I am dark but beautiful. And as she spent more time getting to know him and, and conversing with him, she started to take on this new thing. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, 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 I am his rose. I'm the theme of his song. I'm overshadowed by his love. I'm like a lily growing in the valley. She started to understand that she was really something to this king. At first she was unsure of herself, unsure of her appearance, unsure of her worth. I say that to you to realize if you're unsure of how worthy you are, start spending time with the king of kings. And he'll remind you of how precious you are. You're not just someone that he made up or you weren't an accident. You were preferred. There is something about you that God needed to get in the earth. And when we come into the courts for the first time, walking into the presence of God, most of us understand, we talked about this last week, that we need a Savior. That we all have this point in life where we realize we've got to be saved, that we're not enough, and that God is everything we need. So we say, hey, Lord, save me. The problem is most of the church stays in a position of I need a Savior instead of moving into an identity that I am saved, and now I need to start walking with my King. Because a lot of times in church, we create this culture of, I need to get saved every weekend. You know, you mess up one time, I need to get saved again. I mess up another time, I need to get saved again. It's basically the Christian version of Catholic confession. Is that okay? Okay, that's not. Just talk to me later if you can get me. We, we've got to start embracing this idea that I don't need saving anymore. I am saved. Now let me start walking with the beloved. And when we start to walk in that reality that I am his, your whole person starts to shift into an understanding that I am my beloved's. 
I'm God's. You realize you're his. And you are his fruit. You are the lily in the field. You are something special in the earth. Here's the problem, though. We, we, we embrace this idea that we're a rose in the field or a lily in the field. Last week we talked about Rose of Sharon. That many have preached that the Rose of Sharon is Jesus, but actually in this text, it's not that the Rose of Sharon is Jesus. It's Jesus redeemed the Roses of Sharon. You are the rose. You are the fruit in the field. You are the precious lily. But we miss something, which is where I want to go into tonight. In verse 2 it says, yes, you are my darling companion. Now in verse 1, it was the woman talking, and now the king responds. God responds to the church. Yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the thorns surround you, you remain as pure as a lily, more than all the others. You see, you're not just any lily, and you're not just any flower. You are a lily or a flower in the field that stands out from all the rest. The beloved saying, not only are you beautiful, but you are among others who don't appreciate your beauty. You stand out to me. You are preferred. And when you start to realize how much you stand out to him, you truly realize that you were never a mistake, even if that's been spoken over you. I don't know why that's coming into my rhetoric right now, but someone needs to hear that. No matter what you heard, you are not a mistake. You're preferred. You stand out. There is something specific about you that he needed to get in his field. There is something specific about you, Rose of Sharon. There's something specific about you, Lily in the field, that stands out from all the rest. Not just standing out from the thorns and the thistles, but there's something about you, Rose of Sharon, that stands out from that Rose of Sharon. And there's something of that one that stands out from that one. There is something specific in you and about you that God said, I want you in this field. Don't get lost in an idea that, well, yeah, God redeems me, that's great. No, no, no. There's something about you that he prefers. One thing I'm seeing as people come to this house, I believe people are being led here because what has been overlooked is now starting to be embraced because we're starting to see how each of us is preferred. That there, are, that there are many gifts in you that no one has capitalized on, not for the purpose of growing a church, but for the purpose of you walking into your beloved identity. There is something about you that he had to get in the earth, and it's about time we start realizing what it is. Look at Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. Even before he made the world, God loved us. He chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He preferred you, saw you as the rose, saw you as the lily, even before the world was made. That's how much God loves you. You know, what stood out to me in this passage, and we did a whole study in Ephesians, but what stood out to me was the first few words of how even before the world was made, he loved you. He chose you. The very first scripture of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, look at it. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think about this. Before verse 1, 
you already existed. Before God even said, let there be light, he had communion with you. He had a relationship with something that he preferred, and he said, you know what? I'm going to create this thing called earth, and I'm going to put the thing that I preferred on it to govern it. God says, I loved you before I even formed you with the clay. I loved you before I even gave you breath. And you are actually the true fruit of Eden. He he says, I commune with this fruit that was unlike any other. And stop settling for a table that is unlike you or below you. What is communion? Come back to eat of the place where you were created to be. Come back to eat of what you were created for. You see, we turn communion into we eat the bread and the wine, right? And it's good and it's right. But if we think communion is about about the bread and the wine, you've missed the point of the bread and the wine. It's to remind you that I want you back in a communion-like relationship with me that is precious and it's wonderful. And I, I, why are you eating of a fruit of a lesser value? Because he says, I know where you are and right now you're not communing with me. He says, I invite you into a relationship, a relationship that I had with you before I even said, let there be light. Communion is restoration of the relationship you have with God before the world was made. When we ate of a fruit of a lesser value, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the first thing God asked was what? Where are you? Because in a moment, we settled for less, a lesser table, walking out of the shadow of the Almighty's table. God loved you first, and preferred you. He, perf- he, he, he Let me be so bold to say this. He did not make you for the earth. He made the earth for you. It wasn't, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I got this idea. Let me make some light. Let me make some stars. Let me make a sun. Let me make some trees. Let me make some fruit. And you know what? I really need someone to, to manage this. No, no, no. He had communion, relationship with you at a great table. And he said, now let's put that table on something that looks a little different and put you in a form called man. You're not just a lily in the valley. You're not just any fruit in the field. You were something preferred before the field was even made. Yes, you are my darling companion, verse 2. You stand out from all the rest. For though the thorns surround you, you remain as pure as a lily more than all the others. You stand out from all the rest. When will you live in the identity that you were created for? Do not settle for there is nothing special about me. You need to understand that you were created for great things. Not once you get it right, but before you got even corrupted. Before you were even born into sin, he said, there's an idea I've got and I need this thing in the field. When that idea drives you, you settle for nothing less than, you know what, I'm preferred. I stand out. 
You see, there's a reason that God speaks to you differently than anyone else. And when you don't understand that you're preferred, you start to wonder, why don't I get God talking to me like Johnny does? Because he has a special relationship with you that he doesn't have with Johnny. And where he may speak to Johnny in dreams and visions, he speaks to you through whispers in the night. Where he may speak to Johnny in prophetic words, he may just need you to put your hands in the garden. There's a reason you don't dream like others. Stop wondering why something's wrong with you. He prefers them with dreams, and he prefers you with something different. But what happens in church is we start to build this culture of God wants to give everyone dreams in the same way, and he wants to speak to everyone in an audible voice, and everyone's got to have tongues, and everyone's got to have prophecy, and everyone's got to have knowledge, and everyone's got to have wisdom. And he says, you know what? There's a special communion with you that is very distinct. Why don't you start embracing it? Why are we called to desire spiritual gifts? It has nothing to do with I need to get that gift to posture myself as more mature. It's I need the gift to complete the specific assignment that that gift is needed for. He gives you a gift because when you are weak, he is strong. He says, you know what? You can't minister like that here. Right? There's something special about you, and we need to get out of this comparison game of why doesn't God do this with me, and why does God do that with them? Because he prefers you in a specific way. And if we could get out of this comparison game and just start diving into this idea that I am good enough because Christ saved me, you'll start talking yourself out of assignments that you were actually predestined for. You are preferred. Believe it. Accept the call he has on you, Rose of Sharon. You are preferred. Don't think that you need to earn your calling. Earning means you think you love uh, <clears throat> earning means you think you love him so he can love you. Him loving you first means he prefers you even in your current state. So even though you may not have everything right, he says, if you could just start to believe I prefer you even in this, that's when you start to walk out of the thing that you think is bigger than your relationship with God. We've created this religious posture in the church of get it all right to repentance so that God can use you. All he wants is, hey, can we get back to the place where we walk before I even put the earth together? I prefer you, Lily in the field. I prefer you, Rose of Sharon. I put forth to you that a lack of faith is actually a lack of understanding that you are preferred. Why do I have faith? Because I know that when I speak to him, there is something in that voice that he prefers over the circumstance. He doesn't prefer me going through a, a battle with the enemy. When I understand that he doesn't prefer that, then my faith increases because when I ask God to help me, I don't think I have to measure up because he measured me. Think about a few stories in the Bible. The woman reached out and touched the hem of the garment. And when she touched it, he looked and he said, your faith has healed you, right? The blind men right after that shouted, heal us. And he healed them. Asking if they believe he can do it. Jesus cast out demons of a man who could not even speak up for himself. 
What healed them? It wasn't that they loved him first. It was that he first loved them and they started to believe it. They didn't try to measure up so they could get close to Jesus. They made their way in their condition of less than and just reached out. And a lot of times we think we have to get to a specific point in order to put out the hand to say, Lord, I want to walk with you. No, 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 no. If you think that, you're still under the impression that you love him first before he loves you. He loves you first and prefers you. All he wants is to start walking. That is faith. And the, faith is the revelation, hey, he already loves me. And that may seem elementary to some, but let me say that again. He actually loves you. He prefers you. He's not waiting for you to get all the stuff in alignment. He says, I prefer you. I love you. When you start to believe that, that's when things align. They didn't come searching for him because they got it right. They came for him in a less than condition, believing he can make them Rose of Sharon, Lily in the field. To him, these less thans that everyone else disregarded stood out. Your faith has made you. What faith? That he loves me. He will heal me. They didn't come with their, you know, priestly garments on and say, hey, you know, I've been serving you for a long time and I got this ailment. But, and we, and we go, mm-hmm. But what happens in our kind of rhetoric is, God, I've been serving you for 10 years. Why won't you heal me? Your serving for 10 years has nothing to do with that healing. you got to start to actually believe that he prefers healed. He, 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 he prefers that a disease that cannot be cured by medical practices disappears. He also prefers that diseases that can be healed by medical practices be healed by medical practices. Don't choose one over the other. Both are a gift. And if you want to tell me how I'm wrong, I can show you in Scripture. In Acts, Luke and Paul. Paul gets bitten by a snake, doesn't do nothing to him, throws a snake in the fire. Then they go to the, uh, I forget the place, where was it? Oh, y'all know, okay. He goes back to, his, to, to, to an island, and they're there for days, and it says Paul and Luke healed them. The word used for Paul for healing was miraculous. The, the word used for healing for Luke was for medical. It was a pairing of both. Because he preferred different things for different people. He prefers you as Lily, not as dying Rose. Right? He prefers you even in your current state. And for a moment, these people had faith to really see, you know what? I, I can be healed. He saw Peter. He didn't see Simon. He didn't wait for Peter to start catching fish before he said, let's fish. He looked at him and said, you are failing miserably. Can you come fish for me? I have a call to be an evangelist, but I got to go to school for 15 years. No, the school is start evangelizing. He saw Simon, not a leper. He saw an evangelist, not a whore at the well. Is it okay that I say that? All right. Y'all better not text me tomorrow. <laughs> he saw Lily. He saw Rose. 
1 John 4, 19. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love that God first demonstrated to us. You may know that as we love each other because he loved me first. First, he prefers you. I'm building this up to get somewhere. I hope this is good. Revelation 2, it says this in verses 2 through 5. I know all the things that you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. This is a church that's doing it right. I don't, this is the letters to the churches in Revelation. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles, but they're not. You have discovered that they're liars. You've patiently suffered me without quitting. But I do have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the work you did at first. If you don't repent, I'll come and remove your lampstand from this place among the churches. You know what God just told them? You can get all this stuff right, but if you don't have a revelation of what we call first love, if you don't live under that banner that I love you and love me, all the stuff you get right is from the tree of knowledge of good rather than the shadow of his presence. I've been in this rhythm a lot of he said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good or evil. You know what eating of the tree of knowledge of good is? If I get it all right, God will be pleased. Not if you're not walking in first love. He just looked at this church and said, yeah, you're suffering. You're calling out false apostles and prophets. You're doing all this stuff right. That's all great, but you don't even understand what it means to love me or that I love you. You can get it all right, but if you don't have the revelation of this first love, if you don't live under that banner, all that stuff you get right, it, it, it doesn't mean anything. If you find yourself in a place where it's difficult to love people, I ask you, do you truly live under a banner that God loves you? Knowing it and, and like living it, not just knowing about it. Because I don't know about you, but there are times when this thought comes into your mind of like, I, I can't stand that person. Let, let, let me say, don't eat that fruit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the biggest mess up, not, not, not just because it was giving um, agreement to the enemy, but we have a knowledge of what's good and what's bad, and we use that as the relationship with the Almighty. I'm not going to do the bad things, and I'm going to do the good things, and God's just like, all I want you to do is take me by the hand. Verse 3 of Song of Solomon. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. I'm going to read that again. Like the finest apple tree in the orchard is my lover among other young men. I sit in his delightful shade and taste his delicious fruit. There is significance to understanding the imagery used in the Song of Songs, and other imagery throughout Scripture. If you could just leave that up there, Richard, please. Specifically, as it says, the finest apple tree. There's a lot of tree, 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 tree. There's actually a significance to trees. In Psalm 1, 2-3, it says, But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank. It's talking about the people of God, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. They prosper in all they do. In the scripture, trees are often used as a symbolism of mankind. 
Mankind is likened to trees. And when we take delight in him, he says, you will produce fruit as a tree produces fruit. The problem is, instead of producing fruit by remaining an identity of love, we start to venture to other trees that we were never supposed to eat of. Just like in the garden. Because their fruit looks appealing instead of understanding that out of relationship with God comes a preferred type of fruit. We don't have the patience of having a relationship with God to see the manifestation of things we want. So we start to look anywhere we can get those manifestations, right? Think about what tempted Eve when she ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The enemy was having a conversation with her, and she wanted to know everything she could. For a moment, she had the thought, I can know it all if I just exit communion. And that's where most of, of us tend to be in the church. We think, I need to get the info, and I need to get the experience, and I need to get all the knowledge. And God says, it's all good, but it's nothing if you're out of step with me. Your knowledge needs to come from a relationship, not just a book. And many have more relationship with the Bible than the one who wrote it. We pride ourselves on getting all the law right. And we don't understand anything about, anything about first love. In a relationship, in a life surrendered to the presence of God, you'll never be led to eat of a fruit that damages you. Which causes you to think you're not the Rose of Sharon. When we start to go after these other trees, we settle for a less than portion of our preferred identity. Is this making sense? You're, you're preferred. There's something special about you. And there's nothing from other trees other than the ones that God has put before you that can add any value to what he prefers, to what he created. Genesis 2, 8 through 9, look at this. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he placed the man that he had made. The Lord God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He put him in the midst of all sorts of trees that were producing and called them beautiful. And then told them, don't take of this tree in the middle. Now catch that. He placed them in the east and said, manage that. Don't eat from the tree that's in the middle. First problem is they were wandering away from the place they were positioned for. You ever notice that? Placed them in the east and said, tend that. I'm going to show you some more scripture in a minute about that. And they started walking into areas that they were never supposed to be around. Let, 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 me, let me unpack that a little bit. When Eve wandered to banquet from the tree of God, she walked outside of his shadow and chose to engage with the whispers of, the, of a serpent that was offering a different banquet table. They were placed there to govern, to govern the place, and she was being led. I'm putting you in the east, govern it. And all of a sudden, what's, what's that sound? 
right? When you stay in the shadow of a love, first love relationship with the Almighty, the only banquet table you will ever want to eat from is set before you in his presence. Look at Solomon, Solomon verse 4 in chapter 2. He escorts me to the banquet table. It's obvious how much he loves me. God escorts you to his banquet table, but for some reason, we walk out of that communion and, like Eve did and said, you know what, that looks really good. Not understanding that the thing you're wanting now, he could have led you to in a different way, in a different posture. He escorts us to the place he wants us and gives us feast. And when we start to entertain these other whispers of love that presents itself as more, we're led away from the banquet to other lovers, other feasts that we were never meant to eat from. Is this, is this, this, oh, okay. Genesis 3.1, we're going to unpack this. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals. The Lord God, that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from me in the trees of the garden? Let me, let me stop right there. God never said don't eat from any of the trees. He said eat from all of them except for one. You see what the deception was? The enemy said, did he really tell you not to eat from any of these beautiful trees? Look at what God made. I hear that a lot from people. Well, God made it. Must be good. I'm going to let you imagine what that is. And Eve ended up eating from one tree asked to not eat from. She was convinced that there was something more than what God offered. Now, what's interesting is why Eve ate from it. Look at verse 6. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. She wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. See, a lot of, a lot of times we, we, we want to blame Eve for things, and this is a whole other message, but let me just, let, 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 me, let, let, let me kind of punch that theology. They didn't realize they were naked until Adam ate. Eve ate, and there were no eyes open. Adam ate, and both of their eyes were open because she was under his covering. Okay, let's just think about that. So the woman goes to this tree, Eve, and she's, it looks beautiful. And because it looked beautiful, she decided it must be okay. How did the enemy start the conversation? Didn't God say, don't eat from any of the trees? He didn't point out the tree. He drew her attention to all of them. Satan wanted Eve to pair the one tree with all the others. That was a deception. God made it. It must be okay. It looks beautiful. And in that moment, Eve walked out of the invitation to feast of any and set her eyes on the one that he didn't offer. And when we fix our eyes on fruit that is not offered, we're actually put in places in life that we were never meant to be. And how you start to feast your eyes on fruit that's not offered is when you start to walk out of step, out of communion. Now, I told you, it says that they were placed in the east of Eden. This is what I saw this week. Look at this in Genesis 2.8. Am I going too fast? Okay. 
The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. Now, now, now think about this. He planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed man he had made. Now think about this now. He made man and then placed him. Now, you fast forward, they eat of the fruit, they sin, they fall, and look at the consequences in chapter 3, verse 23. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. He made Adam there and took him out of there and placed him here. I made you from that place to steward this place. And when you look to other banquet tables, I've got to put you back to cultivate the ground from which you were taken from. When we eat of a different table, we forfeit the place he made for us and put back to the place where we came from, where we were never meant to dwell. Let me say it like this. I wonder where you were made that you decided to dwell instead of accepting the invitation in his dwelling in a different place. You were made in a home that gave you a less than view of love and you still dwell in it instead of learning how to love like God. Well, this is just how I was made. You may have been made there, but you were never meant to dwell there. You were made in a religious system that taught you behavior management. But you dwell in the duties instead of the relationship. You were made to believe that all the marriages look like abuse. So you dwell there and blame God for the condition. Do you realize that all these trees were beautiful? But he says of all these beautiful trees and all this beautiful fruit and this amazing garden, you're the one that I prefer above all of it. I made you from the ground and took you from where you were seated in heaven and put you in this flesh and placed you in a new place to dwell. And for some reason, we started looking for other banquet tables. He prefers you. You know, Jesus is referred many times to as second, or a better term, last Adam. Right? What does that mean? When we believe in Jesus, we actually get back to the place of dwelling before we were removed. He says, I have restored you. I have redeemed you. You have the authority in the name of God to get out of your conditions and get back to a Garden of Eden posture. In other words, heaven on earth. He says, pray like this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as is in heaven. Why do we have the authority to bring heaven back to the earth? Because we no longer dwell in just the place we're called to cultivate that we were taken from. Now we dwell in the presence of the shadow 
of the Almighty. And when we're walking in close proximity with God in the shadow, we are so focused on following him that when those beautiful trees pop up, our head doesn't turn to the left. Our head doesn't turn to the right. We're focused on him. Our gaze is fixed on the only banquet table that will satisfy every desire. Look at verse 2 again. Yes, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. For though the thorns surround you, you remain as pure as a lily, more than all the others. The only way to know that is dwelling under his banner of love. Sure, we've got to cultivate the ground outside of Eden. Until the, the, the day that everything's restored, yes, we're cultivating this ground. But when we realize that we are preferred, we don't see a cursed land we have to cultivate. We see a blessed land that we're meant to govern. We don't live under the banner of cursed land. We live under the banner of the Most High. And if you live under the banner of the Most High, the language of I can't wait get back, to get back to heaven will never come out of your mouth because you realize you're already there. You don't see Savannah as a cursed, wicked city. You see it as Eden. And you cultivate it. You work it. You are blessed to be a blessing. Stop praying for God to bless the city and start doing it on his behalf. Because he said, I don't want to govern this. I created this. For someone who sat with me before I said, let there be light. So when he created the earth, when he created the, the towns, the land, the cities, the waterways, he, he, he's not, I'm not going to bless that. I'm going to bless you so that you can govern it and bless it. Is this? Okay. When you understand that you're preferred... You choose to live under that banner. I choose to be led to wherever because I no longer see curse. I see promise. I can't stand this place. Where are you commuting? Because I see beauty. Right? We've got to walk into our preferred, beloved identity, understand that we're preferred and we're preferred for a reason. You, you go restore it. I'm going to make you as the light of the world as a city on a hill. Because you're in my shadow. Think about, think about Moses for a second. Moses had this staff. And God said things like, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand. And the Red Sea divided, right? There was a point after that when they were in the wilderness and they were thirsty and there was no water. And God said, you thirsty? Take your staff. Strike the rock. There'll be water to drink. And then God led them to a place where they had to battle with these people called the Amalekites. And if you read the scripture during the whole battle, they saw this trend. When Moses had his staff up, they were winning. When he had his staff down, they started to lose. So then Aaron and Hur came and they, they, they put uh, rocks under him and they were holding his hands up. And after all these victories, 
of holding the staff up, even though it was tiring, you know, holding the staff a long time while they defeated the enemy because battles get exhausting. That's why you don't need to do it alone because you need people to help hold your hands up. A lot of people lose battles because you try to battle alone. You weren't designed to do that. It's not good for man to be alone. So why are you trying to fight the enemy alone? Right? After all this, look at what it says in Exodus 17, 15. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He realized God can lead us right into a barren, dry, wilderness land filled with enemies, but if I live under the banner that he loves me, I no longer see the reality of cursed environment. I see promise, I see victory, because I see that he prefers me. Why do I point all this out? Verse 4, he escorts me to the banquet hall. It's obvious how much he loves me. You know what You know the banquet hall in this passage literally means? It literally means in the ancient text, house of wine. He escorts me to the house of wine because it's obvious how much he loves me. You see, the banquet hall as house of wine, it, the house of wine was a place where wine was produced and stored. It was where the wine was grown. The vineyard. Literally, it was called the wine garden. Okay? It's obvious how much he loves me. Literally, in the Hebrew meaning, he publicly declares his love for me as if he set a banner up to say it. This woman is saying, my beloved has a banner over my life that he loves me and he prefers me and he's leading me in to the wine garden, the house of wine. In other words, his love for me is evident because of this banner over my life, that I am preferred. So preferred that even though I walked in cursed land, he's escorting me to the garden that I was taken from originally. In the original language, it speaks to obvious love like a banner. The Hebrew word for banner, degel, literally, it, it, it's a tribal banner. It was the word used to describe the 12 banners over Israel. And in this passage, this woman walks into a whole new revelation. It's not, let me get under the different 12 tribes of Israel banners. It's, he's got a whole different banner that all the other banners rest under. You know what it is? I love you. I prefer you. And sometimes we get so lost in those, those little things of we got to restore the things of, 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 of the, the Jewish roots and we got to restore all the things in the Old Testament. You know what the restoration of the Old Testament is? Live in a banner that he loves you, that he prefers you. That is the thing. Now, I love all that stuff. Y'all know me. I teach it all day. But you can get all the knowledge, and if you miss the banner of love over your life, your knowledge means nothing to him because it's good but not communion. I, I know atheists that can quote the Scripture better than Christians. Satan knows the Scripture better than you. Is that, is that a... 
But what he doesn't know and what he doesn't like is you are the one that he preferred. So much that a powerful angel that fell to the earth is put under the feet of the lily in the field. He says, my banner over you is I love you. I prefer you. I promise that wherever I lead you, it will be as a house of wine. It will be as a wine garden, heaven on earth. Which gives a whole new perspective to a, a scripture we read all the time. Some of you are looking at me like, y'all know what I'm about to read. Luke 5. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Because the new wine would burst the wineskins, filling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine. You've got to get out of the old wineskin of I'm not worthy and embrace a new wineskin of Eden reality that contains the best wine that you are now worthy for. God wants to do new things and pour out new wine. And a lot of times we don't receive this new filling of wine is because it will burst your wineskin of law. It will burst your wineskin of I got to earn it. It will burst your wineskin of I've got to have a theology degree. It would, it would burst your wineskin of all these things you think you need to measure up. He says if you would just walk into a wineskin that you are preferred I will pour out new wine. That is him leading you into the wine garden. You know, I can't take you into the wine garden if you're not putting on the new wineskin of redeemed, of restored, of preferred. And I know this might be a simple message tonight, but I feel like if we're ever going to walk into the place that God has for this church, you have, we, you, have got to understand that he prefers you. He, he's got something amazing planned that he wants to do through you. He wants to pour out whatever. He wants to pour out blessings and miracles and, and words of knowledge and faith and wisdom. And he wants us to lead people to salvation. But we can only go but so far if we are still in old wineskin mentality of let's earn it. That's, that's the danger when people see revival break out. We, if you're still in old wineskin of let's start doing stuff to get revival, you're not prepared to receive new wine. Let me, let me say it in, in a different way. How revival is breaking out is preferred to the specific places. He, he, he prefers to pour out a new wine across colleges, campuses right now, right? He prefers to pour it out that way. But there's also something that he prefers right here 
in this house for this city. And it may not look like anywhere else. And how dare we try to earn what's happening there when we walk out of a, but what about this table that you can only feast on with communion? What, what, about, what about this posture of I prefer you and I have a specific wine for Savannah? I've got a specific wine for Relentless. I've got a specific wine for the people of God in this area. Do you understand your special and your preferred. It, it grieves me sometimes when I hear people preach about redemption and how Jesus saves, but the entire rest of their discipleship is get it right, get it right, get it right, get it right, get it right. And there's nothing about commune, commune, walk, you're worthy. You're restored to the place that you were lost from. I'm not going to get into all this scripture tonight, but I want to read verse 5. It says, strengthen me with raisin cakes. Refresh me with apples. I'm weak with love. I want to focus on this strengthen me with raisin cakes. Raisin cakes is often used in scripture, actually, different ways. In Hosea 3, raisin cakes was used to talk about how people turn in their raisin cakes to the pagan gods. Okay. In 2 Samuel 6, it, raisin cakes is actually how people, uh, um, the, the, they, they brought the presence of God and the Ark of the Covenant into the city. And it says that uh, King David actually gave everyone raisin cakes. They were used to replace a greater thing rather than passing out the best thing to everyone, in other words. It was something precious. The raisin cakes were the place where what came from where wine was produced. And in this specific scripture, when it says, strengthen me with raisin cakes, the original Hebrew actually means goblet of wine. She says, I'm preferred... I can see your banner of love over me. Strengthen me with the new wine now that I know I'm preferred. Not I'll get preferred when I get the new wine. It's strengthen me with the wine now that I know. You see, we've made this whole relationship with God as a earn it, get it, instead of just wow, I'm totally worthy for it. God, would you strengthen me with your new wine? Think about the, 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 the typical communion picture, the wine and the bread. He was pouring out wine to his disciples, a new wine, a wine from a redeemed posture. And this woman in the Old Testament is getting it. Strengthen me with the wine. I get it. I'm preferred. You know why I believe Elijah was taken up? He understood something that others had to wait to see in Jesus. He was preferred. You see, we, we, we miss that a lot. Jesus didn't exist in New Testament. Jesus has always existed. 
And God so prefers us that he said, well, I got the Elijah, and, I, and I, you know, Moses gets it, and these prophets get it, and some, and some of the people in Judges get it, and you know, all these people get it, but he says, I, 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 I need all of you. He said, this word that Elijah got, this word that Moses got, that this word that uh, all these people got in the Old Testament, he says, let me, let me just put my word in flesh. And I want to let my word take a sacrifice or be the sacrifice so that all of these thorns can realize I never saw them as thorns. I saw them as the preferred lily in the field. And he said, when you start to understand that you are that wineskin, then I can pour out the wine. No other love can ever satisfy anything. So he says, let me be the thing that replenishes all of your empty wells. A new wine is poured out, and we experience the power of his spirit when we really start to realize the simple idea that we're preferred. Strengthen me, God. I realize my worth. Church, realize your worth. Well, Kyle, I'm battling this stuff. Well, in the battle of your stuff, are you eating at the table of your stuff? Or do you choose to eat at a table of one who says, I've restored the right for you to commune with me. That when we say things like God is a God of wrath, the wrath that he wants to pour out is on any idea that takes you out of preference. Like when you start to think, I could never be that, he's like, no, I have wrath for that. I love you way too much for you to stay in that false identity. Wrath. Think about the wrath of God. Why did he put Jonah in a big fish? Because he says, I prefer you and I'm tired of you walking in the opposite direction of this table. So I'm going to put you in a place that's going to make you understand how preferred you really are until you wake up. What if, what if some of the strongholds in our life, the places that we're in, is simply because we've exited from a banquet table and God says, I love you way too much. Here's your fish. Here's my wrath. I want you to understand you are preferred. Hmm. He says, you are my darling companion. You stand out from all the rest. Though thorns surround you, though trials of life are around you, you're pure. You're more than others. The biggest thing about this teaching of the Song of Songs, the new song that we have got to start embracing, all the things that you are hoping a pastor will do for you, he wants to pour it out on you straight from his presence. 
We've got to get out of this mindset of let me, let me chase the anointing and realize he prefers you with one. The vision of this church, uh, we, the, I actually, if take away the idea of vision. It's, it's just a mission statement to see people come alive in Christ. Christ simply means the anointed. The mission of this house is not to build a great organization. It's my, my life, and I can honestly say this, I get the greatest joy when I start to see people walk in what they're called to do. I really mean that. I, it's, I, 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 I love it better than ice cream. And that's a big statement for me. You are called to do something. You're preferred with a purpose. Don't wait on me to take us to the new place. Don't wait on a man of God from, you know, the east to come in here and give a great word. You are preferred. You are anointed for something. And you're anointed for something that the great ones, as we call them, are not anointed for. And how dare you compare yourself to them. He says, I've preferred you. You're the lily in the field. Not just any lily in the field, but a lily that st stands out from all the rest. I prefer you. Why did he send his son to die for us? He says, hey, go after the ones that I prefer. Not after the ones I prefer if they believe. He prefers you even out of your belief. Your belief simply is in agreement with the preference. That's why he'll lead the 99 to go after the one. Because people who are not saved, he's, he's still, he, he, people who do not know him, he looks at them and says, I prefer them, they just don't know. So stop beating them up for settling as a thorn and start showing them how they're a lily, just like you. Jesus never scared anyone into hell. He showed them who they were and they believed in him because he was the only one that could take them into that beloved identity. There is a beloved identity on you that no one knows, not even mama, not even daddy, not even husband, not even wife, that only he knows and you will only walk into it if you start to say, I'm tired of feasting at every other table. I want to feast at the table of the one that prefers me.